Today's reading is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. Listen now to the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Okay. Good morning. We okay? All right. Welcome. Um, So, uh, as you know, those of you who've been here, we just finished a year-long series of sermons uh, on the New City Catechism. And so... um, we're going to do something new now. And uh, during the summer, I was thinking about what series to do next. And uh, originally, I thought we would go through the uh, book of Galatians. Um, but as I was preparing some of those messages, I thought, you know, this is still pretty heavy stuff. We spent a year doing pretty heavy lifting in terms of doctrine. And I thought, you know, um, I should give the congregation a little break, do something a little lighter, uh, something a little... Um, more fun, maybe. Um, and so, uh, in Galatians, there is this passage about the fruit of the Spirit. And so, for the next uh, couple of months, uh, we'll do a series of, of sermons and small group uh, FG materials based on the fruit of the Spirit. And so, that's what we're going to do. And uh, I want to alert you that um, for the next two months, I want to just encourage you to eat more fruit. Uh, it's good for you. And also to help you hopefully remind you of the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to be uh, thinking about. Uh, I've asked um, Kat, Helen, and Sarah uh, to provide uh, fruit-themed snacks for our fellowship time, so we'll eat more healthy together as well uh, after service. So uh, please thank them uh, when you see them. I know they're trying to come up with um, ways to connect particular fruits and colors with the particular fruit we'll be talking about uh, each week. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for this day that you have made. And um, yeah, we're just so thankful uh, for you, for who you are, and for uh, our time here together that we can be together uh, to hear your word, uh, to share in your love, uh, to discover uh, your work for us. So help us now in the hearing of your word to listen 
and to discover who you are and in the power of your spirit to obey. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the fifth chapter of Galatians, Paul is talking um, about freedom. Verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Christ has freed us from sin and from the obligations of the law and enables us now in that freedom to live in accordance with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so this theme of freedom uh, is, is throughout the book of Galatians and its implications for us. And this freedom in Christ is not just a freedom from sin and the law, but it is a freedom for love and service. And so in our reading today, it's in this context of freedom that Paul contrasts these competing desires of the flesh with the, uh, with the desires of the spirit. Now notice that desire itself is not a bad thing. In scripture, we are called to desire the good things of God to desire wisdom, to desire life, and of course we are to desire God. Uh, it's, it's desire that is wrong or wrongly ordered, wrongly prioritized, um, in wrong measure. That's the desire that is a challenge to the desires of the Spirit. That We, we don't want to measure our lives against the, the works of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, but rather we want to uh, measure our lives in accordance with the fruit of the spirit and the desires of the spirit. Uh, Philip Shedrick has written, desires are best understood as our most honest experiences of ourselves in all our complexity and depth as we relate to people and things around us. Desires uh, are best understood as our most honest experiences of ourselves. Desires are the deepest longings of our hearts our deepest needs for meaning, for companionship, for belonging, for faith, hope, and love. These are good desires, and it's when these good desires that get, that get twisted or misaligned or misprioritized that they become uh, what Paul calls these works of the flesh. We want the, the goodness of intimacy, but then it gets twisted into sexual immorality. We want the experience of intimacy with God, but then that also can become twisted and misshapen into idolatry. We want spiritual power in our lives, but then it can also mutate into sorcery instead. So in contrast to these works of the flesh is what Paul calls the fruit of the spirit. Now, it's probably because I'm Presbyterian, um, but I find this really, really helpful in thinking about the spiritual life. The evidence of Christ in my life, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, the proof that I'm in step with the will of God and kingdom values is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I know at times, you know, I've been envious of the more charismatic demonstrations of power of the Spirit, miraculous healings, ecstatic speech. Those can be evidence of the workings of the Spirit, of course, but it is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about here that gives evidence of a transformed life in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God lived out in Christ, enabling us in 
and reproduced in us in the Holy Spirit. That is the evidence, the demonstration of the new life in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is, is, is the character of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, so this test then for me of spiritual growth and maturity, uh, it, you know, it's, it's very helpful, right? It's not about your test of maturity and growth is not, you know, how much more Bible trivia um, did you learn, right? It's not about how much did you do sorts of some of these spiritual exercises. Rather, it's how much have you grown in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would the people around you say of me or say of you that you are more loving, that you are more joyful, that you are more self-controlled this year than last? Would your spouse and your kids say that about you? And your life, right? I mean, that's the sign of spiritual growth and health. And I, it seems to me that um, in a world that appears to be getting more crass, more angry, more divided, we need this, this character of God, this fruit of the Spirit, more than ever. Uh, Stephen Carter, who teaches at Yale Law School, wrote a book entitled Civility, Manners, Morals, and the Etiquette of Democracy. In it, he describes the loss of civility in American society, the loss of respect for others, and the neglect of the needs of others. He wrote this back in 1999. That was 20 years ago. How much worse have those trends become in our day? He concludes that only a religious understanding of the world can counter the prevailing cultural trends of impropriety, disrespect, and selfishness. And I agree with him. I think the current dominant worldview of secular materialism and humanism offers no ultimately compelling motivation to live what might be labeled a virtuous life or what Paul calls a life in the spirit. And so for the next couple of months, I want to consider together this life in the spirit as evidenced by the fruit of the spirit. And even though we're going to only focus on on this particular passage, you know, the, the fruit imagery and metaphor fills the pages of scripture. In fact, it it brackets the story of redemption. As you know, in Genesis, in the very beginning, it was the disobedient eating of a fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that led to our broken relationship with God and with one another and our exile from the Garden of Eden. Then in the very last chapter, the very last chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in the last vision of eternal life, we are told that there will be a tree of life with fruit, 12 different kinds of fruit, one for every month, telling us that it's always going to be in season. There will always be fruit. And its leaves will lead to the healing of nations. That is, that is the final vision. One fruit led to our separation and death, but another will lead us back to life and healing. And between Genesis and Revelation, the people of God are likened to the vineyard of the Lord. Jesus taught that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that those who abide in him will bear much fruit. And the Apostle Paul spends quite a bit of time explaining how the Gentile wild olive branches have been grafted into the cultivated vine of Israel. We will not only get to eat from the tree of life its fruits, But we are now to bear fruit and to bear it in season and in abundance. 
as we await the final days. Fruit, of course, can symbolize many different things. In the Old Testament, for example, it sometimes refers to a a community of faithfulness in response to God's word. It might mean the caring for the poor and the sick, the widows, the orphans. Uh, It could mean a a kind of sacrifice that you give for the sake of the community. But what I want to kind of really impress upon you uh, during our study is this idea that fruit is fruit for the community. It's fruit for the community. Yes, we should cultivate these these characters, these qualities, these godly qualities in our own uh, personal lives, but the fruit is by and for the community. The passage you heard from Galatians today addresses the entire church of Galatia, right? All the you in that passage is in the plural. It's not speaking to you individually to bear these fruits or to to be in a particular way or to exercise your freedom. It's addressing the church collectively as a whole. All the yous are plural. You all, together, the church, are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit has to be exercised in community. It's not, you know, I'm going to be more loving by myself. You can't do that. Love has to be demonstrated. It has to be exposed to, to the community and nourish the entire community. Jesus also said, by this is my Father glorified. This is how God the Father gets glorified. That you, you all, plural, again, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That you as disciples collectively, as the church, glorify God when you together bear much fruit. Fruit is the evidence of our shared discipleship in Christ. It is evidence of our abiding, of our being rooted in him. Bearing fruit does not necessarily mean you are a disciple, or uh, it doesn't make you into a disciple, but it is evidence, a sign of one's discipleship, and it is that fruit for the entire community, for the people of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. This is not to say that we are being commanded as a community to try harder to produce more fruit. Uh, that, that's not how fruit are grown. I know that um, as 21st century people, we are, uh, most of us, completely disengaged from agriculture, from farming, uh, even from gardening. Um, and the only fruit we ever see uh, is at the grocery store, right? That's the only time you really see fruit. Um, me too. But um, I've told you before that I have uh, two pear trees in my backyard. And this week... My wife plucked a pear from our tree, and I got to eat a little bit of the, of the fruit. Um, now there are two pears left on our tree, our two trees. Three pears, that's it. Um, that's pretty terrible. But here's the thing. We didn't do anything. Like, we... We don't even look at these trees. We don't fertilize it. We don't water it. We don't prune it like you're supposed to. Like, we do nothing. And still, we got fruit. Now, I think we got more than those three. I think, you know, the deer ate most of it. But we did absolutely nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. And still, it bears fruit. Why? Because that's what trees do. If, you're, if the tree is healthy, it will bear fruit. And we know that Christ is healthy, 
And so if we're connected like a branch to Christ, then we will bear fruit. You can't help it. It's, it's what just happens naturally. And again, I, I'm told that most fruit trees need cross-pollinization for it to bear fruit. So that's why we have two pear trees instead of just the one because apparently they need each other to, to bear fruit. And I thought, you know, that's good, right? We need one another and we need to be rooted in the healthy roots, the healthy tree, and then we will naturally bear fruit. And I think this is where we have to part company with those who offer advice and methods for developing character and virtue. We are not trying harder to be good people. That is not what we are about. Instead, you know, we recognize that we, we can't do it on our own and that we need help. That it is not the result of my trying harder, but of the spirit working in me as I abide in Christ. Fruit comes from this remaining in Christ. For apart from him, we can do nothing. So, if there is no fruit in your life, if there is none of these fruits in your life, it might mean that you are not abiding in Christ. Because if you are in Christ, then there has to be a bearing of fruit. Now, of course, again, faith is a gift. We are saved by grace alone, of course. But faith is not alone. We don't simply you know, receive the nutrients from the vine and nothing happens. If we are connected, there will be fruit. And so it's in that sense, I think, that when, when James talks about you know, uh, faith without works is dead, that's what he's getting at. A branch without fruit is dead because it means that it's, it's not connected. It's not rooted in the vine. And therefore, no faith and therefore no fruit. And, I, and Jesus wants his church to bear fruit. And Paul says here, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So um, I'm going to talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit. As you know, uh, there are these nine qualities of fruit, uh, these marks of discipleship, uh, these, these characters of God uh, being worked out in us. Um, but you notice it is in the singular here. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. Um, but just as in English, the word fruit can, it can refer to a collective it's a collective singular. So even though it says fruit, it could refer to fruit. So I don't, wanna, I don't want us to get too hung up on this because I, I got into an argument with somebody a while ago about, well, you know, you shouldn't talk about fruits. It's, it's one. And, and it's like, yeah, but it's, you know, we talk about a bowl of fruit when there's more than one kind of fruit in there, right? It's the same in English. Fruit can mean multiple variety of fruit. So it, it, the point is, you know, Paul is contrasting the works, all these works of the flesh with this, the fruit of the Spirit. And there is a sense in which they should go together, right? That love, joy, and peace, you can't have like just love and like have no joy in your life and, you know, you're completely out of, like you can't do that. So in a sense, it is together. So, you know, if you want to imagine it like a, like a cluster of grapes, you know, one fruit with lots of th- nine different grapes, you can do that. Or if you want to just think of it as nine different fruits, which is what I'm kind of going to do uh, in, in the sermon series. Um, so I do want you to just remember that even though it's, I'm going to talk about it like there's nine different fruits, there is a sense in which it is a collective whole. It, it, it is one. Okay. All right. So today, let me just uh, get us just started on love, the first of the fruit. Love is the first one on this list because it's really the most important one. 
Love is the most important one. Jesus identified love as the singular mark of discipleship. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you so you are to love one another. By this, by our loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love is the mark of our being in Christ. Even more importantly, when we talk about God and who God is and what God is like, the first thing that comes to mind or should come to mind is that God is love. God is love. For God so loved the world in this way. God proves his love for us in that Christ died for us. We love because God first loved us. God is love. So even though it's not grammatically correct, it's theologically sound to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love and that the next eight qualities are just different facets of love. Love is not one among many Christian characters. It is the one virtue upon which everything else hangs. You know, we could probably do, you know, every sermon could be about love and we could, you know, get to every other topic uh, that way. We could cover all of God's revelation uh, beginning and ending with love. And I know, again, for those of you who've been here, you've heard me talk about love uh, frequently. Uh, Over the years, we've studied together the different words for love for Greek. Not going to do that today. We've considered uh, rubrics like Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages and how to work those out. I've told you about, you know, love as a verb. It's, It's action, not a noun, a feeling uh, in scripture. We've discussed love as a decision of the will for others and not you know, a feeling that I try to uh, get for myself. We've learned about people like Paul, you know, someone like Paul who was so uh, angry and zealous, um, you know, stood by when, when someone was being murdered, uh, Stephen when he was being stoned, and yet he, as he matured, as this fruit became evident in his life, He's able to write to the Corinthians about love and how important love is and that love is the greatest thing that there is. So there are many ways we can kind of approach love. And today, um, and especially for the sake of the younger folks here today, um, I want to just kind of get us started with something very, very simple, a very small way of thinking about this. Um, Today, um, and and in the weeks to come, as I said, we're going to have fruit um, and the fellowship team and I, we thought about, you know, can we find a particular fruit to attach with each of these um, ideas? And um, no, we couldn't think of it. <laughs> right? Like when you think of um, goodness, what fruit comes to mind? I, I don't know. Um, I did think that, you know, if potato chips were a fruit, that would be a good illustration of no self-control. Um, but today, the fellowship team prepared uh, strawberries and cream and strawberries dipped in chocolate. Um, now, they did this in part as a way of celebrating uh, Pastor Dohi's uh, commissioning today. But I think strawberries uh, dipped in chocolate, or strawberries maybe in general, uh, people, a lot of people associate that fruit with love, right? Because that's what you... For me, I associate that with Valentine's Day and, you know, love. And so that's what, that's what you get, right? Um, so maybe that's why we're going to do that. So maybe that'll help you kind of uh, remember that. Um, maybe some of you don't like strawberries and you have other fruit that you love and that's the fruit that you want to uh, associate with. Um, I was remembering uh, how during the summer, uh, as I was recovering uh, from, from my surgery, 
how so many of you uh, brought fruit over to my house. Um, I don't want to tell you, I don't really like fruit, but I was, <laughs> I was so thankful um, that, that you brought so much fruit. You know, these the peaches and uh, pears and melons, all kinds of berries I'd never seen before. Um, baskets of fruit. You know, so I'm so thankful, as, again, as a, as a symbol, as a sign of your love for me. And, uh, you know, they weren't shaped like hearts, um, but they represent... They represented love, and so they became symbols of, of, of love uh, for me, and, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but, I, but I do want to tell you that the fruit for me that I always associate with love um, is this. Um, so young people, um, do you know what this is? What is it? That's all right. You're not, you're not sure, right? You think it's an apple. Yeah, it's, it's an apple. It's an apple. Um, now, the reason I wasn't sure if you would know is because my kids, when they were little, they didn't know what an apple looked like, right? Because for them, this was an apple, <laughs> right? They never saw that. They always saw this. That's an apple, right? And uh, this, this always reminds me, you know, it's not a lot. I mean, even I can do this. Even I can cut an apple. But just that little gesture of love, right, that moms typically, right, when they cut the fruits for their kids, that's love. And so for me, this is what I think of uh, when I think of love and, and fruit. And, and I like this because it's not some grandiose act. We're not asking you, you know, to, to do some, some large gesture of love for total strangers. You know, maybe, maybe you're intimidated by Christ's command to love your enemies or, you know, the call to drop everything and to, to follow him. Yeah, those, those, are, those are challenging words. But you can begin with these small gestures of love to begin to bear these small fruits of love. And so I want to challenge you with, uh, with the word today uh, because this is something that's just been on my mind um, the last uh, a few weeks and I think it's, uh, it's, just, it's been coming up and people, uh, the conversations that I've been having and so in this past week, in the Wednesday's Word, I wrote about how God hears the groanings of his people, that God listens or that God pays attention to the groanings of his people, the needs of his people. And so I want to say to you today that we think about love as paying attention, that we begin to love simply by paying attention. And isn't this how most of us first experience love or puppy love, right? When you, when you fall in love. Right? You, you pay attention. Right? You, you see the way they smile. You see the kind of clothing that they wear. You see the way they walk. Right? Every small feature you, you notice because you're paying attention. Um, and paying attention as love, I think, is, is a good way to kind of think about this because that's what we're doing now. I don't know if you are aware of this, but we are right now in worship paying attention. Not, not, to, not to me. We're paying attention to God. That's what worship ought to be. That for this brief time, we, we give our full attention to God as an expression of our love for God. That, that's worship. Instead of being distracted by all these other things, important things, we give our attention fully to God. You know, we, we take our eyes off of our work, of our kids, of ourselves, and we look to God. And we look for those details as we pay attention 
to who God is. Um, that's the beginning of love. You know, I know people sometimes will, will come here and they'll say, you know, worship didn't help me grow today. Or, uh, you know, I, I love when people say, oh, yeah, that sermon didn't do anything for me. Um, of course it didn't. Of course it didn't. And, and maybe some of you come here thinking, you know, I want to recharge my spiritual batteries or, you know, I want to get something out of worship. Um, now, all of that might happen. That might happen. But that's not what worship is for. That's not why we're here. We're, we're here to, to pay attention to God, to look, to seek his face, to desire God, to order our desires correctly so that first and foremost, we're trying to pay attention to God, to who he is and what God might say to us. Some of you uh, older folks might remember way back in 1996, uh, there was a popular movie called Jerry Maguire. Yes? Okay. Uh, uh, it was a great movie, right? Um, a lot of great quotes came out of that. Remember? Show me the money and uh, you complete me. Um, but the line that really sticks out for me from that movie um, is when uh, what's, uh, I forgot the character's name, but Renee, uh, we're on first name basis. What was her name? Okay, well, she says, uh, she says, you had me at hello, right? I love that line, you had me at hello. Now, I know it's a different context, of course, but it's, it's something I've been praying for for our church. I thought, how great would it be if the testimony of everyone who comes to this church, visitors and old members alike, they will say, you had me at hello, right? Why did you decide to join our church? You had me at hello. I walked through those doors. I walked into the sanctuary, and someone came up to me and said, hello. They welcomed me. They embraced me. You had me at hello. Next time we have membership class, I hope somebody uses that. You had that, right? Because uh, I want to tell you that one of the things that that is always an encouragement to me is when I hear um, visitors or people who join us uh, as new members, how welcomed they felt And that's one of the reasons that they decided to become a member of the church, that they felt loved, right? That people greeted them, people talked to them, people shook their hands, and and so on. And and that always just, you know, it makes me feel so good, right? And that's, that's fruit. That's fruit that is nourishing. But at the same time, I also have conversations with people who felt neglected, who tell me privately how unfriendly the people have been, how that they would... And sometimes they would say hello first and they wouldn't even get a hello back. And, and, you know, that's very painful to hear those kind of stories and and how people feel left out and and some of them eventually, you know, they they leave because there is no, they don't experience this fruit. They're they're not nourished. They don't get to eat. You had me at hello. That, That ought to be the experience of everyone in this community. You know, this is your family. This, this is not my church. This is your family. And everyone who comes here is your brother and sister and mother and father and son and daughter. Everyone. It's not just a job of, you know, a couple of the really friendly people we have in the church to welcome everyone. It's not the job of the, the welcoming committee, right? Each and every one of us, we are to bear this fruit of love. And just a simple paying attention. 
You don't even have to be holy. You don't have to go up to them and say, you know, um, what, you know, uh, the peace of Christ be with you or something, you know, like that. Just, just say hello. You don't have to greet them with a holy kiss, as, as Paul writes about. Just say hello so that they can say, you had me at hello. I know that some of you, you know, you, you have a set of friends here, and I'm glad for that. Um, and you just want to hang out with them and catch up with them. I understand that. Some of you, um, I know you got young kids, and they're running around. You're busy feeding them, changing diapers, and, and all of that. I get that. Some of you are just introverts, and the ideal of like going up to people you don't know, it just terrifies you. I, I get that. I get all of that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is. And I, I'm just asking you to do this small, it's not something big, it's just a small gesture of welcome. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ and bear fruit. Let's pray together. God, we confess that um, we are amateurs and uh, we are not very good at love. Certainly not um, the way that you would have us be. But we ask God now that um, as we begin our study now of the fruit, that you would help us bear much fruit, that we would abide in you, that we would be so rooted in you that we would bear much fruit. And help us begin this week, today, to love one another, to welcome one another, to pay attention to one another, and so live out the calling that we have together as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, could someone...